Here's a question I'm pretty sure no one listening to this has ever bothered to ask. Who is the current Roman emperor? Obviously, the Roman Empire doesn't exist. But if it did, who would be the claimant to the imperial throne? Explore with me the very convoluted answer to this very meaningless question on this episode of Everything Everywhere Daily. This episode is sponsored by Audible.com. My audiobook recommendation is How to Think Like a Roman Emperor, The Stoic Philosophy of Marcus Aurelius by Donald Robertson. Roman Emperor Marcus Aurelius was the final famous Stoic philosopher of the ancient world. The Meditations, his personal journal, survives to this day as one of the most loved self-help and spiritual classics of all time. In this book, psychotherapist Donald Robinson weaves stories of Marcus's life from the Roman histories together with explanations of Stoicism, its philosophy and psychology, to enlighten today's listeners. You can get a free one-month trial to Audible and two free audiobooks by going to audibletrial.com slash everything everywhere or by clicking on a link in the show notes. While the question I posed for this episode might not be relevant, as there is no Roman Empire, it isn't unheard of. Many countries with former monarchies have families today which are claimants to the throne, or we could point you to say that they would be the monarch if they still had a monarchy. For example, 44-year-old Georg Friedrich, Prince of Prussia, is the head of House Hohenzollern. He would be the German Kaiser today if they still had a monarchy. Likewise, 83-year-old Vittorio Emmanuel is the head of House Savoy, and he would be the claimant to the Italian throne. In Spain, the monarchy was ended by Generalissimo Francisco Franco, but then revived upon his death, and they dipped back into the same family to pick the new monarch. So in the same vein, asking who the current Roman emperor would be isn't a crazy question. It is, however, a very complicated one. First, because of the time involved since the dissolution of the empire is so long. Second, because the debate as to what the Roman Empire even was. And finally, as to how you would determine claimants to something which never really had a set system of handing off power between emperors. As we go back in time, the initial problem stems from the fact that the empire split in two. If you remember back to episode one of this podcast, and you did listen to episode one, right? The Byzantine Empire was really just nothing more than the Roman Empire, which continued in the East. The Roman Empire, then, actually fell in the year 1453, when Constantinople fell to the Ottoman Turks, and the last Roman emperor, Constantine XI, Paleologos, was killed. So the first way to approach this problem would be to ask, who should have been the emperor after Constantine XI? The next in line for the Byzantine throne would have been Constantine's brothers Demetrios and Thomas. Demetrios, the older brother, died without children, and his younger brother Thomas claimed the throne. Thomas had a son, Andreas, who used the title Imperator Constantinopolis and was declared as such by the Pope and other European monarchs. However, without a real empire, he had very little money, but spent like he was a real emperor. He left the title of emperor in his will to Ferdinand and Isabella, the monarchs of Spain. That would mean that the legal claim to the title of emperor of Rome would be tied to the Spanish monarchy, which, as it so happens, still exists today. So by this legal interpretation, the claimant to the title of Roman emperor could be King Felipe VI of Spain. That is one interpretation. Another one would be that of bloodlines. The descendants of Thomas Paleologos didn't fare too well. However, he did have several children, and in particular, a younger daughter named Zoe. 
After the fall of Constantinople, there was debate as to where the new center of Christian orthodoxy would be. The Russians made a strong claim and tried to establish Moscow as a new Rome. Or because Constantinople was already new Rome, it would be the new new Rome. As such, Russian ruler Ivan III, also known as Ivan the Great, married Zoe to establish a claim to the legitimacy of the Byzantine Empire. He also started using the title Tsar, which means Caesar in Russian. So by bloodline, the Roman emperors would have been in the Russian royal family. The Russian royal family was mostly wiped out during the Russian Revolution, but some minor members of the house remained. Claimants to the Russian throne are disputed, but at the time of recording, the person with the best claim is 97-year-old Prince Andrew Romanov, who was the grandnephew of the last Tsar, Nicholas II. Finally, there is a third possible way to view a claim to the Byzantine throne. Conquest. Roman emperors were often whoever had the army on their side. By this logic, when the Ottomans took over, they became the rightful rulers of what was left of the Roman Empire. The Ottoman Empire lasted for several hundred years and fell after World War I. However, the Ottoman house, like most royal houses, still survives. The current head of the house is 87-year-old Dunder Ali Osman, who is the great-grandson of Sultan Abdul Hamid II. So we have three different ways to argue for claimants, law, blood, and conquest, and we'll get three different answers. However, it gets more confusing. The Byzantine Empire was the continuation of the Roman Empire, but it wasn't Rome. Constantinople actually had control over Rome for several hundred years after the supposed fall of the Roman Empire in 476. In fact, they really didn't lose control until 752. It wasn't long after that when Charlemagne swept into Italy from France and was crowned Emperor of the Romans by the Pope in Rome on Christmas Day in the year 800. Charlemagne's empire, known as the Carolingian Empire, was later known as the Holy Roman Empire, and it explicitly claimed itself to be the successor state to the Western Roman Empire. The Holy Roman Empire was around for about a thousand years in some form until it was officially dissolved in 1806 during the Napoleonic Wars. Here, too, we have two different branches where we could find claimants. The first would be Napoleon Bonaparte himself. He declared himself Emperor of the French and by conquest took over much of the Holy Roman Empire. Napoleon was deposed of, but House Bonaparte still exists. The current head of the house is 34-year-old Jean Christophe, Prince Napoleon. The claim here is the weakest simply because Napoleon's claim wasn't a direct claim on the Holy Roman Empire. However, after the dissolution of the Holy Roman Empire, the Habsburgs kept on ruling it in the Austro-Hungarian Empire afterwards. Like the Ottoman Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire ended after World War I, but House Habsburg continues to this day. The current head of House Habsburg is 59-year-old Karl von Habsburg, who would be a claimant to both the Austro-Hungarian Empire and the Holy Roman Empire. There are more rabbit holes you could go down to keep making more arguments. You could say that Napoleon's claim should go to House Bourbon, which was restored after he was deposed of. By that logic, the claimant would be 46-year-old Luis Alphonse de Bourbon, who currently lives in Spain. Or you could say it's now tied to the president of France after the monarchy was abolished. Or you could say that because the emperor had to be at least nominally approved by the Roman Senate, the current mayor of Rome, Virginia Raghi, could have the best claim. Likewise, you could say that the European Union itself is the successor to the Roman Empire. Or what many people usually come up with first when they think about this question 
the position could be in the person of the Pope, who was also the temporal ruler of the Papal States for centuries and now just rules over the Vatican City in Rome. As I noted before, none of this really matters. None of these people are actually making claims of being the Roman Emperor, and if they did, it wouldn't even matter. Nonetheless, it's interesting that even after so much time, we can still make modern linkages back to ancient Rome. Executive producer of Everything Everywhere Daily is James Makala. If you ever wanted to give some direct feedback on a show, provide show suggestions, or just talk about some of the previous episodes, I've started a Discord server. If you aren't familiar with Discord, it's basically an online chat room that you can use as a standalone app, or in a browser, or on your phone. I'm usually there in the evenings, and occasionally throughout the day in North America time. Just go to everything-everywhere.com slash Discord, or click on the link in the show notes.